Good morning. The first time I came to Decatur, uh, when friends knew that I was going to be absent in Washington, they said, what are you doing? I said, I have to go to Decatur. The second time I came to Decatur, friends knew of my absence, and I, they said, Where do, what are you doing? And I said, I get to go to Decatur. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure to come here. I love that I can come here and be so well instructed this morning, brother, uh, in your Sunday school class. It's, that's a pleasure and that's a gift. And I love that I can come here and enjoy the fellowship with the DeMars family. It's just, what a gift. It's just, if, if Sean's and my relationship is not evidence of the gospel, I don't know what is. You won't find two men more different than him and me. Uh, it is sweet fellowship that I enjoy with them. And I love to get out of Washington. It's great to be among normal people. I think I said that to you last time when I was with you. It really is. You get this weird thing going on in D.C. Okay, don't ask me about politics. I just avoid it all, but, but it is good to be among you. Uh, confession, this sermon I'm about to preach is a better sermon than the man who's preaching it. That in some ways must be true of every man who stands in a pulpit and preaches God's word. But even yesterday, as Sean and I were talking about our different backgrounds, I had to stop myself and say, as I talked about my own father and my own mother, I had to stop myself and say, wait a minute, I'm preaching tomorrow on Exodus 20:12. Let me hold that thought. So with that, let's pray and then dive in here. Father, you have been kind to us to even wake us up this morning. That is evidence of your mercy. And you've been kind to us to feed us, and that's evidence of your mercy. And you've been so gracious in giving us your word. Oh, is that not evidence of your mercy? So we pray, Father, that we would not ignore this, but you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to your word and take instruction this morning. That we might even repent, change, grow in our understanding of it, that we might obey it and prosper from it. So help us. Help us not to sit in judgment of the word or even the preaching, but help us to allow the word to judge us and refashion us, recalibrate in us, renew our minds that we might obey your word and prosper from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I utter the word authority, do you embrace it or do you recoil? Is authority good or bad? Is authority, and I mean decisive authority, that which we listen to and obey, is it an external thing? held up and imposed from the outside, or is it an internal thing? Something one feels from within. I think you've studied Carl Truman's book. It's an excellent book, His Strange New World. He explores 200 years of history's so-called greatest thinkers. He's trying to get at how did we arrive at our day, our time, where man's inner life itself has become the source of all truth, all authority. Truman writes this, the modern self finds himself in the midst of what has been called expressive individualism, 
where each of us seeks to give expression to our individual inner lives rather than seeing ourselves as embedded in communities and bound by natural and supernatural laws. Authenticity to inner feelings rather than adherence to transcendent truths becomes the norm. He argues throughout the book that decisive authority is now our inner feelings. It goes so far as even determining our gender. Am I a man or a woman? Neither or both. My feelings about this determines that. Inward psychological conviction is the non-negotiable reality to which all external realities must be made to confirm. If this is true, a guest preacher speaking on the Ten Commandments is one of the most silliest things I could have done. It's a waste of time at every level, if this is true. Not only that, speaking on Exodus 20:12, honor your father and mother, well, that's just embarrassing. It's a little outdated, don't you think? If that idea wasn't shot through before, it was certainly DOA by the 60s. That generation drove Volkswagen Beetles with the bumper sticker, Question Authority, plastered on the back. They boycotted the Vietnam draft. They abandoned the church. They bagged the institution of marriage for free love. They took down Richard Nixon. I remember, I'm a baby boomer. One of my older brothers touted a gas mask that he actually ripped off the face of a policeman during riots in the 70s, in the late 60s. Oh, by God's grace, I'm standing here as a redeemed boomer and one who has the, was the gracious recipient of God's electing love while I, too, was in college. I'm here to tell you the opposite of what the world is telling you right now. Do not look to the world for an operational definition of authority. Why? Well, if a Supreme Court nominee made up of men and women who are the ultimate interpreters of our law cannot define what a woman is, well, where do we go from there? Surely the world's not going to tell you better. But that's for another day. These Ten Commandments were not handed down by God himself merely to be treated as the Ten Suggestions. They were handed to the people of Israel so that they might become the very image of God. You're going to hear that a lot. The very image of God on the earth. So before we dive into Exodus 20:12, I want to say something about how I'm going to treat this particular passage. <clears throat> Modern sermons are loaded with jokes on this, on this passage. Just loaded. It's just joke after joke. <clears throat> It's interesting in my study, as you go back, the further you go back in the commentaries and reading the older writers and the ancient writers, the more serious this becomes. There's no jokes (laughs) with Spurgeon and Calvin. So I'm going to take the same approach. I'm going to treat it seriously because I think that's how God treated it when he spoke it. Now, sometimes preachers use unnecessarily big words, so I'm going to stop and help the kids in particular along the way. Because kids, this sermon is for you. Your parents are going to be listening in, but it's primarily for you, okay? 
All right, so first, all right, here's my first help for you kids. If you want to jot this down, you can talk to your mom and dad about it. Here's your first. Everything I've said so far is asking this. Should I obey my inner feelings? Should I obey my inner feelings or something or someone outside of me? Which should I listen to? Which should I obey? Okay? All right. I think you're going to find this passage on page 61. Yep. And it may appear on the screen. Nope. (laughs) Okay. But it's easy. Ready? Here it goes. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's pretty straightforward. So my goal here in the next few minutes is to answer four things. Here's your outline. It's really easy. Four words. What, who, when, and why. What, who, when, and why. Here's the first one. What? What does it mean to honor your father and mother? If the first commandment, you shall love, you shall have no other gods before me, is the foundation of the first four commandments, then you could equally argue this fifth commandment is the foundation of all the commandments that follow. Why? Jesus himself summarized these ten commandments in Matthew 22 when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Question. Where do you first learn to love your neighbor? Anybody? Sorry? How about love at home? You first learn, it's the family is the first and primary incubator from which all other neighbor love flows. Okay? It, it shapes all other relationships. When you come across a kind, considerate, self-controlled little boy, do you think, mm, I bet he learned that on the Disney Channel. When you come across a little girl who's respectful, other-centered, quick to obey, do you think, tick-tock, I don't think so. Behind these children will stand, I guarantee it, will stand faithful parents. It's true that good parents can have kids that go rogue and bad parents can miraculously have good kids. But generally speaking, that's not how the world works. Okay? From the beginning, God set it up for parents to be a good authority in their children's lives and for children to obey and profit from such good authority. So just a few weeks ago, I was teaching a Sunday school class where I said the two broad stages and goals of a child's life, zero to five, teach them to be under authority. Six to 12, teach them about God's character, character development within them, that they might properly image God. If you fail to teach your child to be under authority, well, then all bets are off on trying to teach him the character lessons. Okay, embrace yourself for what happens when your child leaves the home. Augustine said, if anyone fails to obey his parents, is there anyone he will spare? The home, the family, it's it's where we first learn to live with people. We we, we are introduced to the very very idea of authority and respect and honor. Our, our, Our family is our first hospital, our first school, our first government our first church. It's where we are nurtured, instructed, and governed, where we learn to rightly worship 
And if it is a good home, the child gets the first and best introduction to the idea of protection and love. And I think we've seen the fruit of when this breaks down and these things are absent in the home. So again, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? The word honor comes from the Hebrew word kaved, K-A-V-E-D. It literally means heavy or weighty. It's an Old Testament term. It's often used for the glory of God, for the weightiness of his divine majesty. To honor one's parents, then, is to give due weight to their position, to give them the recognition that they deserve for the God-given authority that they have. So kids, here, you come, here I come again. To honor your parents is to respect, to prize your father and mother as gifts from God. The opposite is to dishonor and disrespect or treat lightly your parents' instruction. And the Old Testament had a way of dealing with offspring who treated parents dishonorably. And I'm going to read you two verses. They're tough verses to listen to. But this gives you a bit of an idea of how God approached the the role of parent and child. Listen to Leviticus 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put on time out. Shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Listen to Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders at the city gate, and they shall say to these elders, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Praise the Lord, we're in New Testament times under a new covenant, right? I share these verses to show the seriousness of this commandment. This is a, literally a life and death issue. But even in the New Testament, the issue is still very much alive. Paul, 2 Timothy 3, says there are days coming, the last days, where things will get very difficult. He writes this, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do Do you hear that? Disobedient to their parents is a sign of the last days. This issue is still very much in play. Simply put, a child must be taught and come to recognize that a father and a mother have been placed over them by God and therefore owes reverence, obedience, and even gratefulness. 
whether it's a government official who gained a, a high position or a parent, they have gained that office, if you will, through God's providence. God appointed them. And therefore, it makes no difference whether this parent is always deserving or worthy of honor, for it is God who put them there. It doesn't say honor only the good moms and dads. It doesn't say be grateful only when you get what you, from your parents what you want. The title of father and mother is deemed weighty in the eyes of God. It is an office of great significance. Whether the world sees it, it makes no matter. Period, full stop. Father's Day is coming up, by the way. I make it a habit to read the papers on Father's Day. The, the world does not know what to do with dads. It's a joke. Read what the world says. They're like, moms are essential still, even in the world's idea. Dads don't know what to do with them. Not according to God. So kids, in God's loving providence, your parents gave you life. That fact alone is sufficient for you honoring them. Okay? All right, number two, who? Who is the commandment aimed at? Any guesses? Children, thank you. I'm going to try this again. Any guesses? There you go. Okay, children, I'm going to talk to you for a moment. Ready? God has placed your father and or mother in your life, especially for you. <laughs> he could have chosen any number of parents, but he put you in your parents' lives. You should assume that they know more and better than you do. And that that's good for you. If you feel like this is hard, remember Jesus. The one who never sinned, who upholds all things by his word, who also was submissive to his parents. A member of the, the Trinity, the Godhead, submitted himself to his earthly parents. So as you get older, as you grow, so should your relationship with your parents. As you give evidence of maturity and, and uh, a strong character, you should be given more responsibility and more independence. But that doesn't change the command to honor your mother and father. All right. Teenagers, I'm going to really address you now. It seems a rite of passage in our culture that you're expected to rebel, push against your parents. And you feel it, don't you? I did it. You, you feel like your parents sometimes just don't get you. They're too restrictive. They have too many rules. Nonetheless, this commandment is for you, teenagers. Do you honor your parents with your speech? When the kids, your fellow classmates in the lunchroom are trashing their parents, do you join in? They don't understand. They're always on my back. Do you treat your parents lightly? Before God, that is a mistake. That is a sin. If you really want to be a rebel, why don't you rebel against the culture 
and actually honor your mom and dad. That would be rebellion. Parents, right after Paul tells the children in Ephesians 6, we just read this, to give honor, what's he say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up to the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> we, dads te- we dads, we tend to fall off the horse on one side or the other. We're either too harsh or too passive. Deuteronomy 6, which we read, let me repeat it again. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's pretty much all the time. This is your instruction manual. Dads, moms, don't provoke but teach. Give godly instruction. Show your children the way of the Lord. Sadly, some parents are just outright abusive and provoke their children. They bring on the rebellion. Most of us are just more subtle than that. We parents can replace God's word with our word, right? We can blur the line between God's principles and our preferences. Is that rule in your home really there because it's a principle at stake or is it really just your preference? We can try to exercise our authority a little too long. In this age when some call helicopter parenting, I'd really like to encourage you parents, especially as you think about your children as they grow older, think about kind of three stages in life. When they're little, you need to be out front of them leading them. Right? That, that's just right and good. When they hit high school, college, those early, early, early adult stages, you, you need to pull beside them. See yourself more like a coach, a counselor, a pastor, a fellow traveler, for that is what you are. The, the older they get, the more transparent you should become. You're not super dad. You're dad who has struggled with sin. You're dad who who knows what they're going through because you went through it. Come on, mom, you got to remember. I, I did a little exercise. I was asked to come to this church and there were of, of, uh, parents of teenagers and there were, the room was full. And the first thing I did, I said, I said, I want to go around. Every one of you, I want you to tell me the worst thing you did in high school. And there were some whoppers. There wasn't one in that room that didn't have something that was clearly disobeying their parents. Why did I do that? Uh, I wanted them to remember they weren't born 40 and wise. But we somehow get there, don't we, in our minds. Like, how could you? But you did it. So relate to your parents, so, or to your kids. So come beside them. You're a fellow journeyman in this, in this long walk. But when they get older, parents, you need to be behind them. Right? You're not, you're not leading anymore. You're supporting when called on, and you're cheering them all the way, but you need to get behind. It takes wisdom and restraint to recognize when to relationally downshift. And if you don't know how to do that on your own, talk to your spouse. If, if you, the two of you don't know how to do that, talk to your kids, your older kids, and say, how can we be helpful? Back to Exodus 20, 12. Notice there's no age limit here. It's not only for small children or children who live at home. How sure am I? 
Matthew 15, Jesus is talking to no less than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and he, says, he says this, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. These Pharisees and scribes were not taking care of their needy elderly parents, saying they've already devoted to temple any spare money that they have. And Jesus is condemning them essentially for, by essentially saying, you've ignored God's law for man's. So this means that Jesus cares about your parents, your older parents. How you care for them is a prime example of honoring them. It's insufficient. It's sin just to pack mom away in the old folks' home and forget about her. That's an easy temptation, though, isn't it? Just get the bills paid. She'll be fine. Someone else is taking care of her. It's not honoring there's no age limit here. Oh, so let's get this straight. I have to honor my parents when I live under their roof. I have to honor them when I've left home. I have to honor them when I'm an adult and they're old. How about after they've died? Am I done then? I don't think so. Our posture, our posture should be one to honor, to speak well of them. And it, it, it doesn't mean that you don't recognize their failings. But you don't take opportunity to talk down to them or about them. It's, 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 it's not, it doesn't mean that you aren't honest and open about the pains and the hurts that might have existed. It doesn't mean you don't laugh with them about their foibles. Be kind to those of us who entered this digital age reluctantly. Okay? but work to avoid the temptation to mock or even despise. Number three, when? Are there limits to honoring your father and mother? There are two scenarios in which I think it's going to be really difficult to honor your parents. <clears throat> the first is when your parents put pressure on you not to live for Jesus. Even parents who know and love the Lord well, they can try to persuade their children from following Jesus wholeheartedly. One example might be if you desire to go to the mission field and they can't fathom the thought that they're not going to see their kids or grandkids on a regular basis. They're, yeah, that, that's just, you, it's going to be difficult in that scenario. Unconverted parents are, to use a biblical term, well, they're blind. And, and you're not. They don't understand the cross. They don't understand the sacrifices that you're making, how you're spending your money, how you're spending your time. Their values are literally quite upside down from yours. So what do you do in the case of this believing or unbelieving parent? What did Jesus say? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10. We do have a loyalty that is higher than even our parents. I know through your own church's budget, I, I, uh, Russell referred to the, you support the Good Churches effort, which supports training of pastors in North India. There's a man there who has been shunned by his family, his entire family. This is no small thing in that culture. 
He was shunned because he would not physically live near them. Now, mind you, the man's 40 years old and has his own wife and four kids. But he had to disobey his parents in order to obey the Lord as he went out to do church planting. He's lost the esteem of his family, but he counted as worthy of the gospel in obedience to Christ. The second scenario is when you have parents who simply are undeserving. The Bible does instruct us to honor our parents. It does not command us to stay in harm's way. So in a room this size, it's no stretch to imagine that some of you came out of homes that were something less than Leave it to Beaver or the Brady Bunch, where in 30 minutes these TV moms and dads brought wisdom and peace to every child's challenge. I've known a young woman for nearly 15 years now who has given up for adoption at the age of eight. As a young girl, she saw things that no child should ever see. She was up for adoption because her father was serving a long-deserved jail sentence, and her mother had died essentially from her sin. She had taken part of things that are unmentionable. How is this young woman supposed to speak of her parents? Some of you have been verbally, mentally abused, and some still have the tender scars of physical abuse. I just have to say I'm so sorry for that. What you suffered goes against all nature and all of God's command. And God will judge that one day. I understand the instinctive, natural reaction to say, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve my honor. And yet, as hard as it is, God calls us to give respect to all governing authorities, Romans 13, not just the good ones, Christian slaves or modern workers are to be subject to their masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That's 1 Peter 2. And you and I are called to honor our parents even when they are undeserving. Is this possible? We know from the book of Samuel that King Saul would not win any awards for Father of the Year. He ordered his soldiers, including his son Jonathan, to kill the future King David, who was an innocent man and the dearest of friends to Jonathan. This put Jonathan in a really tough situation. He's supposed to honor his father, who also happens to be king and could take his life, all while knowing that murder is against God's law. Jonathan did the right thing. He actually honored God by disobeying his father. He warns David, and then he intercedes with his father, and he calls him to swear off this sin. Stop pursuing this innocent man. He did not dishonor his father, but worked to preserve the king's honor by his actions. Jonathan was well aware of his father's faults. He was not blind to them, 
yet he still honored him. And the last we see of him is where? At his father's side, fighting to protect him against the Philistines where he dies. So how can you honor the dishonorable parent? Here's two suggestions. If you can do nothing else, take the advice of Proverbs 11:12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. If you can do nothing else, remain silent. When my own parents were still alive, I asked one of my brothers, I'm one of seven sons, how am I supposed to honor mom and dad? He said, Matt, choose to live an honorable life. I think there is wisdom there. By association, if I live an honorable life, it will reflect well, even on my parents who may have been undeserving. All right, number four, why? Why is it being asked? Why should we honor our parents? I got got a couple reasons. One, Parents deserve it for the many sacrifices that they make on behalf of their children. Have you heard this definition of a parent? It's uh, spending money on things that they'd rather spend on something else. It's true, right? I've spent a ton of money on things that I would have put it somewhere else instead of on my kids. There's many sacrifices. Kids, you don't realize it, and you may not appreciate it, but your parents are sacrificing for you. Here's another one. Parents have a wealth of knowledge. You might not think it right now, but they probably have more than you realize, kids. You may have heard Mark Twain's line. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. (laughs) How about this for a reason? God designed it this way. God has made us to live in families where parents have the role of teaching and guiding and disciplining. One of my adult children spent a weekend, she and her husband, with another couple. And they said they could hardly wait for the weekend to be over because the weekend, this other couple had a three-year-old or a four-year-old, and the parents had adopted this parenting philosophy where they never gave instruction, only options to the child. And it went like this. Do you want eggs or oatmeal for breakfast? Do you want to play inside or outside? Do you want to walk or be in the stroller? Do you want to be in your, your red pajamas or your blue pajamas? Do you want to go to bed at 10, in 10 minutes or 20 minutes? My, my daughter said it just became absurd. Who's the leader in that house? Who's the decision maker? Who's the, who has the authority in that home? The child does. <laughs> God has designed families to work where parents lead and children follow. Parents, you are God's ambassadors and agents and representatives to the family. Children happily live under the rule of their parents. That's the beginning of them learning to live under the rule of the state and the rule of God. This is where they learn that. And children who do not respect their parents will lose access to one of God's central ways of passing down the faith. 
We have a little thing in our church where we'll ask, raise your hand if you came to know the Lord while you were still under your parents' roof. And still, after all these years, most people raise their hands. Hmm, I wonder if that's God's design, that the parents would pass down the faith to their children. But there has to be right authority and right honor for that to take place, for that incubator to be set up for this. Kids, kids, here's a great reason to honor your parents. There's a promise attached to this commandment. We often ignore this part, but ready? Honor your mother and father that your days, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, here, God is not promising a long life. The phrase actually has to do with living an abundant life. God is saying, if you want to enjoy the full blessings of this life, you'll listen to your mom and dad. It's as simple as that. He could have ended this commandment with a threat, right? But he didn't. He ends it with a promise. It's it's as if he's saying to the children of Israel, look, your parents saw my great works. I turned the Nile into blood. I brought nasty plagues on Egypt. I delivered your parents out of Pharaoh's hands through the sea on, on dry land. I brought water out of a rock. And now, and now you are on the cusp of the land I'm about to give you. Listen to the stories of your parents. They're going to tell you these stories of my great works. Listen to their instruction. Be a people under authority and you will know my blessings. Now, some of you kids have been well taught and might be saying, these words were spoken in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant. We are Christ's church under the New Covenant. Excellent point. In God's wisdom, though, he had the Apostle Paul, as we read earlier, repeat these thoughts in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Colossians 3, 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, kids, keep listening. I'm going to speak to your folks for a minute. Parents, what ultimately happens to the recipients of these Ten Commandments? And what happens to their children and their children's children? Listen to Judges 2.10. And there arose, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord and the work that he had done for Israel. They did not know the Lord. They didn't even know what God had done. The great deliverer of this spectacular deliverance wasn't even spoken of. How how can this be? How is this possible? The parents didn't even open their mouths. I mean, we we tell our kids of the home run we hit in eighth grade baseball. We tell of the touchdown that we made or the... The grades that we got, we tell our kids of all these things, but we don't even tell our kids of this great delivering God. And how does Israel forget this? It's inconceivable. And yet that's what happened. What's it say about generational wealth? The first generation earns it. In our case, if you're a first generation Christian, you believe it. The second generation assumes it, and the third generation loses it. That assumption 
is a, that, that's a nasty area. You cannot assume your kids are going to get it because you got it. If you make that assumption, their children won't even know what you're talking about. They're just going to think you're a relic. Parents, you are instructed to teach your children about God, his offer of salvation through Christ and his promises. Listen to Psalm 78. I will make, make this your pledge, parents. I will open my mouth in a parable, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done so that they should set their hope on God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Raise your hand if you're a grandparent. Congratulations. Is it merely just fun? I mean, it's pretty fun. You come, they play, and then they leave, and you get your house back in order and still have your evening. I get it. I'm a granddad. But do you have a spiritual agenda for your grandchildren? Are, are you praying for them? Are you gospeling them? Because you're one of the means of transfer of faith to those little ones. You have words of hope. The last time I was traveling, I got home well after midnight. The house was quiet. Everybody's in bed. We just have one at home now. We have five kids, just one at home, a kid in senior year. I climb into bed in the dark, completely ignorant about what has taken place. I get up the next morning. I was like, something's, what's going on? I, I slept in late because I was out so late. And I come down into the living room, and there's my wife having decided to have a sleepover with four of the grandkids. And she's on the couch, and there's a one-year-old at her knee, and there's a six-year-old at her shoulder, and there's a three-year-old and a four-year-old on her knees, and she's reading the children's Bible to them. I was like, is this not an older woman? The Titus II kind of older woman? Gospeling her children, her grandchildren, having a gospel agenda for them? Introducing them to the very one that will deliver them from the sin of this world? I was like, I, that was a happy sleepover. I hope, grandparents, you have that mindset. So you must teach, but you can't just teach. You must show. There are two parts of this, show and tell. What do I mean? Children won't always listen to parents, but they rarely fail to imitate you. So make yourself worthy of imitation. Listen to these verses. And I want, I'm going to stop and pause and have you fill in the missing word. And, and here's a hint. Three verses, the same words. The always, it's always the same word that's missing. Ready? Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, that would be you if you're a Christian. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of of the man of dust, we, must, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does God call all fathers and all mothers and all churchgoers, all followers to do? 
We are to display, to reflect the character and likeness and image of the, our Father in heaven. We're like to be a, a mirror to the sun. All of us have fallen short. Every one of us. We look, instead of like a, a good mirror, we look like one of those carnival mirrors, one of those bendy mirrors, giving off, giving off a false impression. We give a, a false impression of our faithful God when we're unfaithful. Our God is a peacemaker. So moms, be peacemakers. Our Heavenly Father loves his enemies. Fathers, love your enemies. Do not curse them. Our Heavenly Father is holy. Church, be holy. Our Father always tells the truth. Do not lie to one another. By doing this, then, we are presenting to our children and the whole world with a series of portraits of God. Do you, do you see this? Our, our, our kids look. They, they look at mom and dad, and they look at the church, and they're supposed to get this glimpse, this taste of God. As we grow in character and likeness, and we image him properly. Okay, kids, you get the last word. Ready? You always get homework at the end of class, right? Here's your homework this week. Think hard about how you can honor your mother and father. How can you practically do this? Here's a couple hints. Maybe it's simply saying thank you when they do something for you. Maybe it's simply saying, I'm sorry when you do something against them. Maybe it's simply saying, okay, dad, or yes, mom, when they give you instruction. Your parents are going to love it, I guarantee it. They'll just love it. So do that and then flood Pastor Sean with stories about how well you did, okay? Come back next week and tell him, hey, I honored my mom and dad this way. Do that. He's going to love it too, right, Sean? All right. Last word, Exodus 20, 12, is not a suggestion but a commandment with a wonderful promise. Honor your father and your mother that, our, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Father, this commandment is so simple and so hard to obey. So we pray, O oh God, that you would give great grace to every child in this room. We pray, Father, from the youngest to the senior citizen whose parents perhaps have passed, you would help us to guard our mouths and honor our parents that it might go well with us, that we would ultimately bring honor to you in doing so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.